Hi, everyone. So it's the end of the year, and usually around the end of the year, at the end of December, I try to dial things back a little bit, take it easy, and give myself a little bit of a break. So this week, rather than releasing an interview, and next week as well, I decided to do a couple low-key solo episodes and share a few things with you. So this week, I was thinking that a lot of people don't really know where the Renaissance of Men came from. I've talked about it on other podcasts, but never on my own. Not really, because I haven't been interviewed on my own podcast. So this week, I thought I'd share the essay that kind of started it all. And that essay, for those of you who have listened before, is called To Lose the World and Gain My Soul, which I posted on my travel blog in July of 2020. Those of you who have listened before probably know that I spent 2016 through 2020 traveling through a bunch of countries around the world, and then I returned to the United States in February of 2020 and moved into the apartment I'm in now in March of 2020. And the day I moved into this apartment was the day the world shut down, Phoenix shut down totally. And so here I am in this new apartment in a new city. I grew up here in Phoenix. I have family here, but I hadn't lived here for 20 years. So it was still kind of a new city and I own no furniture. I mean, I basically bought a mattress and a box spring the day I moved in and that was all the furniture that I had while the world is basically melting down. Over a couple of months, I had some friends overseas I kept in touch with until I found the Alexander Cortez Inner Circle, which is a group on Telegram. And so I found my way into that group. Maybe at that point, it was a couple hundred men and started sharing some of my experiences. And men started listening to what I had to say, which was one of the first times in my life that that had ever happened. And so I started realizing that, wow, maybe I do have something to say. Now, remember, I'd, I'd been overseas for a while. I'd been traveling. I'd been kind of on my own. I wasn't really part of a community. And so finally, I found myself at the end of my hero's journey, the conclusion of it in this community of men with presence and voice, as you may remember Ken Curry talking about. And I started to realize that I could take all of my experiences and I could put them out there in the world against these accusations of cancel culture that was shutting everyone down at the time. Part of what was going on behind the scenes was that I had this Instagram travel profile, which only has about a thousand followers. But right after the George Floyd riots, people were posting black squares on their Instagram. Now, my travel Instagram, it was never big, but it was my pride and joy sharing my travel photos. And I was like, I am not going to post a black square on my Instagram. I'm just not going to do it. That's partially because I just don't do what the crowd does. But it's also because you don't actually get to tell me what I do with my platforms unless I get to question your ideology. And because I didn't get to question the ideology, I was not going to play along. And at the same time, I didn't want to be attacked for what I was posting. I didn't want to draw fire. So I was kind of stuck in this place like, well, I'm not going to do what they say they're going to do, but why am I allowing myself to be silenced? And it was a really tough spot to be in. And meanwhile, I'm in this online chat group and men are listening to me and I'm having the chance to express my thoughts. And I realize, wait a minute, if cancel culture is going to try and come for me, I have 25 years of history, including global travel, that I can use to make my case. And so I realized I have a responsibility now to speak up because if anyone can speak, I can speak based on my experience. If only travel, for example, if someone wanted to call me a racist, one of the things that racists don't do is racists don't spend six months traveling alone through India. Racists don't do things like go to the Kumela Hindu festival with 190 million Hindus. 
Racists don't do things like that. Racists don't live in the African-American theme dorm at Stanford University for two years. Racists don't date Filipina immigrants. So if anyone tried to make those charges stick, they wouldn't really have any cause to be able to do that. And if that was actually true about me, and my heart told me that this accusation of racism didn't land, then I have a responsibility to speak up on behalf of all the people who can't. So I started writing this blog post to lose the world and gain my soul. I was exploring Christianity at the time. This was still about six or seven weeks away from being baptized. But I had read Simply Christian by N.T. Wright, and I had read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and the Screw Tape Letters. So it was still very much in my mind. It was still very present for me, but I was not yet, I had not yet gone into the water, I guess you'd say. So I started putting this blog post together and telling my story, and I just started pouring my heart out through it. And I'm so incredibly thrilled with how it came out. I was able to move myself with my own writing, which is always a wonderful feeling. And when I put it out there into the world, not just into the inner circle, but I was also in this online community. If you remember Jack Murphy, I was in the liminal order for about 90 days and then I left. But I also shared it in that group. I shared it in the inner circle. And I found that this post went viral. In fact, if you scroll down the post, and I'll link it in the show notes, you can see all the comments that I was getting. And so I put a bunch of pieces together. Here I am talking about my background, all the things I've done around the world that acquit me from cancel culture's accusations. And here I am being in this community of men who are listening to what I have to say and valuing it. I'm actually becoming a pillar of this community. And then I express myself and it kind of goes viral around the world. Maybe for the first time in my life, I have something to say. And so it was out of that moment that the Renaissance of Men was born because I realized that I have a lot to share. I have a lot to share of value. I can really reach people. I can really motivate people. And I have a responsibility to do something with that and put it out there to the world. Now, I didn't know at the time that the Renaissance of Men would become what it is. In fact, really what I wanted to do was do a podcast about the Renaissance of Men, about this worldwide men's movement, and along with that, become a coach or a therapist for men and women under the URL begin-within.us. So begin within us. I thought that was pretty cool. So I was actually going to do two businesses. I was going to have begin within and the Renaissance of Men. And I was brainstorming one day as I'm looking at Begin Within and the Renaissance of Men. And I'm like, why am I starting two businesses? Why don't I just take everything that I'm going to do with Begin Within and roll it into the Renaissance of Men and have it be both a podcast and men's coaching and mentorship? And so it was out of that moment that the Renaissance of Men was born. And so this is around August right now of 2020, after this blog post went out. That's when I contracted with a graphic designer to develop the Renaissance of Men brand, which you see. And the first time I ever told anybody about the Renaissance of Men was the night that I was baptized. So my friends, Spirit Dream, I went up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to visit them. They baptized me in the Coeur d'Alene River. And then at a little dinner party at Rob and Katie's house that night was the first time I got to tell people, the entire group, about the Renaissance of Men. The first time I had ever really talked about it. And so all of that came from this blog post, which I'm going to read to you as sort of a Christmas present. So many of you have come along with me on this journey, and you've probably pieced together parts of my story through listening to the podcast, but I've never really gotten the chance to talk through it. And so I hope in reading this essay, you can understand some of the places that I've been, some of the things that I've done, 
and have made me the man that I am. So as I look back on the history of my life, this essay I'm going to read is one of the true pivot points of my entire life, putting this out there into the world and really feeling the things that I have to say and the things that I think be valued and received and wanted in this very powerful way was transformative for me. And it helped lead us here today. So thank you for being a part of it. If you'd like to read the essay, it's linked in the show notes. That will also take you to my travel blog. While you're there, feel free to look around. Be sure to check out the photography page where you can see some of my travel photography. And as you're reading, maybe get a sense of the man that I used to be. I'll get to reading the essay in just a minute. Before I do that, just to let you know what's coming up for the rest of the year, next week I'm going to do an episode about my Renaissance Mentorship Program, give an overview of the program, let you know what it is that I offer. I'm very proud of this program. It's taken a lot of work and development, and I've been quiet about it. I know you've listened to my ads before on the podcast, but now I'm actually formally putting it out there to the public. I'm very excited. It's a big step for me, so I'll talk about that next week. And then also, there's going to be some changes next year with the podcast. Nothing too major, but it's going to open the door for me to do a lot more sharing of what I think and my beliefs and my values and my perspectives as well. Also, before I get into the essay, the last thing I want to say is if you haven't yet checked out episode five of Rewire the West, please do that. I'm so incredibly proud of that episode. As I look back over the course of my life, the things that I've created that I'm truly proud of in addition to this essay that I'm about to read in my Hamlet Poetry for Men episode, episode five of Rewire the West really stands out. Evan did an incredible job. So that will be linked in the show notes. And if you wouldn't mind, give it a watch and share it with a friend. I'm really hoping that the message of that video can reach as many men as possible. So many men are isolated and they're alone. And the message of this episode is hope that there's more support available to men than they realize. So it's the holiday season. Many men are alienated from their families or not able to travel. I'm really hoping that this episode can reach them and give them a bit of hope. So check the show notes and you'll see a link to episode five of Rewire the West. Again, give it a watch and a share if you don't mind. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on this journey with me. I really do enjoy these solo episodes where I get the chance to talk to you and share some things about myself versus interviewing guests. And I'm hoping to do much more of this in the new year. So again, thank you so much to all of you for listening. I've just booked my last guest for the month of January, and I'll give you a little hint. My 100th episode is coming up at the end of January in time for my birthday week. So next week, when I talk about the mentorship program and talk about some of the changes, I'll also let you know who some of those guests are. Once again, thank you all so much. And I hope you enjoy this piece of my past, this essay, which helps shape me and lead directly to the renaissance of men. Again, thank you so much and Merry Christmas. To Lose the World and Gain My Soul July 13th, 2020 The first thing I wanted for myself was to travel. Good grades, admission into university, a successful career, all these wants were given to me. But to explore the world for myself and see it on its terms and my own? That want was birthed in the secret and mysterious places of my heart. In the first three months of this year, the gates to worldwide travel slammed shut, and a curtain fell over the highways, airways, and waterways that humanity spent millennia engineering. Not everything about a globalized world is good, I promise you. 
but the freedom for different nations, peoples, and cultures to meet, exchange, and grow is one of the most transformative blessings humanity has achieved for itself. As a man who has drunk deeply of this blessing and knows its many benefits, I feel the loss acutely. Today, rather than enjoying motion between destinations, we live indoors on a frozen planet, cut off from our outdoor lives of work, school, nature, hobbies, sports, worship, and community. Emotional isolation has been the most common result, along with creeping frustration and exhaustion. But it gets worse. In our shared aloneness, we're being polarized against each other. Black versus white, man versus woman, right versus left, gay versus straight, science versus faith, individual versus collective, citizen versus police, city versus countryside, and so on. It's easy to demonize strangers when we're not allowed face-to-face contact with them. It's a universal human tendency to project onto the other every dark quality that lives within ourselves. If we could leave our homes, we might be able to see our fellow citizens and humans for who they are and find ways to resolve our challenges with courage. Instead, the clerics of science, medicine, and politics proclaim that we must remain inside, afraid, and wait for the media's images to tell us how to proceed. After months of nonstop exposure to these images, some of us have begun to question their reliability, or are beginning to. Unfortunately, doing so publicly today entails certain risks. For an era that appears to be without religion, these are dangerous days to be a heretic. Who I am. I've seen a lot of the world, and not just in the terrestrial sense. I'd like to share some facts about what I've done, including some things you're not likely to know, so you can get a sense of who I am. I've visited 33 countries on all six inhabited continents. I've walked on glaciers, climbed mountains, trekked through deserts, bushwhacked jungles, swam in lakes, ridden on grasslands, sailed across oceans, snorkeled off beaches, scuba-dived reefs, camped in forests, hiked up hills, explored a cave 50 meters underground, flown in a biplane through the sky, and stared into the cauldron of a live volcano. I've traveled on jets big and small, props and puddle jumpers, trains, subways, trucks, buses, cars, carriages, vans, scooters, tuk-tuks, rickshaws, bicycles, motorcycles, cruise ships, sailboats, dinghies, kayaks, horseback, camelback, donkeyback, and also on an elephant. I've slept in dorms, tents, huts, yurts, cabins, casitas, treehouses, guest rooms, living rooms, family homes, five-star hotels, grimy apartments, and sleeping bags on the cold, hard ground under the stars. I've hugged a saint, drank with a gangster, spent an evening with a call girl, volunteered in a prison, been charged with a crime, and assaulted by cops. I feasted, fasted, partied, and prayed, fallen in love, and fallen for scams, cried tears of joy, tears of pain, and tears of laughter, and I've watched a loved one die. I've witnessed the light and dark in my soul on entheogens like ayahuasca, wachuma, and bufo alvarius. I've surrendered to the loving embrace of God and experienced something approximating hell for 20 long seconds. I was born Jewish in Bar Mitzvah. I went to a Catholic Jesuit high school. I've had daily practices of Kabbalah study and dream interpretation. 
I've meditated with Buddhist monks until my consciousness disappeared and trained with a Kung Fu master on a mountaintop at sunrise. I've broken bread with Muslims and visited their mosques, prayed with Sikhs at the Golden Temple, and participated in the largest gathering of Hindus on earth, bathing in their holy river. I've attended New Age festivals and retreats, been to Burning Man three times, sweated in Lakota lodges, heard the sacred medicine songs of the Shipibo and Emberna peoples of Central and South America, performed a Hakka war dance with the Maori of New Zealand, and had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I have friends who are lifelong conservative Republicans. I have friends who are devout Christians. I have friends who are anarchists, atheists, and libertarians. I have a friend who is a flat earther. I have a friend who did time. I have friends who are hippies. I have friends who are gay and swingers. I have friends who proudly voted for President Trump. I have friends who can't stand him. I have friends who despised him and now are voting for him in November. I have friends who are rich. I have friends who are poor. I have friends who are old and friends who are young. I have friends who are professors. I have friends who are dropouts. I have friends who are policemen, soldiers, and former interstate drug dealers. I have friends in every shade of skin color and in every country I've visited. I wish I could get all my friends together. We'd have an awesome party. In 2008, I campaigned for the election of Barack Obama. For six months, I made hundreds of calls to voters all over the country, including on election day. In 2009, I attended President Obama's inauguration in Washington, D.C. In 2010, I collected in-person signatures for Obamacare and attended the Stuart and Colbert Rally to Restore Sanity on the National Mall. After the Democrats lost control of Congress in 2010, I realized that laughing at Jon Stewart and posting on Facebook wasn't affecting change, regardless of my sense of self-satisfaction at doing both. So beginning in late 2011, I became an anonymous mid-level activist for Occupy Wall Street in San Francisco. I built and ran the city email list from scratch and produced and designed print materials for a team I co-founded, the Ideological Liberation Working Group. If you live in San Francisco, you might have seen my work without knowing it. I attended protests and linked arms to prevent the occupation at Justin Herman Plaza from being raided by police. I spoke on the people's microphone and shivered in the damp winter cold during long weeknight meetings. For more than a year, I gave up my hobbies to be an activist as a side job while working in an office full-time during the day. I quit Occupy in 2012, primarily over its unwillingness to condemn property destruction as a form of protest after watching the movement be infiltrated by a group of violent bad actors in black hoods. I attempted to broker an agreement between the two leader groups to work together without the need for violence, and I almost succeeded. But the Black Hoods backed out at the last minute, and I left. Years ago, I concluded the Black Hoods were likely working for an outside organization. I have a bachelor's degree in communication from Stanford University, class of 2002. While at Stanford, I lived in Ujima, the African-American ethnic theme dorm. By charter, half of the dorm's 109 occupants must be members of that race. Stanford also has Asian, Latino, and Native American ethnic theme dorms. I was assigned to Ujima at random my sophomore year in 1997. When I had the opportunity to live anywhere I wanted on campus during my junior year, I chose to live in Ujima again. That year, I was named most active member of the non-theme race by my fellow residents. In 1999, when I was 21 years old, 
I co-founded a dot-com startup with a fellow student, an African-American man named Ralph, who became our company's CEO. He and I sat on the board of directors together. With our other co-founders, we raised millions of dollars from private and institutional investors and hired dozens of people from around the country and the world. I lived on Treasure Island in San Francisco, the third most diverse zip code in America, for 12 years, until 2016 when I left to travel. I was a proud member of my community. I dated a Filipina immigrant for over a decade. The woman I almost settled down with in New Zealand is part Maori and works towards Maori social equality in the field of national health research. I invite you to consider the facts I've shared and what you might intuit about any man they describe. The Image of Transformation In the past four months during lockdown, I've had the chance to reflect on the roads I've traveled, the things I've done, and the versions of myself I've been. I've been assembling and reassembling the pieces, trying to figure out where I'm going next and who I'd like to be. During this time, I've also wanted to write on my blog about topics related to my travels and that might not touch on current events. But I've held back due to fears of cancel culture, a form of online bullying that attempts to determine who can speak and what they can say. I've been worried about losing close friends and drawing the ire of family if I say the wrong things or if I fail to say the right things, even if I don't believe them. I've investigated the ideology behind cancel culture enough to know that anyone who shares it won't care about what I've done, seen, or learned firsthand from my rich and varied life experience, which is to say they won't care about me. The ideology only cares about race, gender, sexual orientation, and demonstrations of allegiance, even if that allegiance is just performative. Similarly, the ideology doesn't care about truth, dialogue, learning, or growth. It apparently has all the answers it needs. It has sacred texts and prophets, evangelists and zealots, and cannot be questioned, taking on all the worst aspects of a religion. This new religion is seeking both converts to the faith and heretics to crucify. I know I'm not alone in observing this phenomenon and hoping to avoid becoming either. The problem is, that's no damned way to live. On the road, I spent four years expanded as close as I could to the size of a planet. Before my journey, I spent two years resurrecting myself to stand upright like a man. Through effort, intention, and courage, I escaped from the cages I'd built around myself. Then I left the U.S. and completed my hero's journey with honor and dignity, manifesting my heart's dream to wild success. Every step of the way, I was aided by human and divine grace for which I'm eternally grateful. In other words, I did the thing. Now I'm supposed to spend my life in a shrinking physical and linguistic sphere circumscribed by bureaucrats and ideologues, and I'm to stay here until they tell me otherwise? I'm sorry, no. Because another thing has happened over the past four months, I've lost more than 30 pounds and I won $2,500 from my efforts. These photos are 108 days apart. Monday, February 17th, to Thursday, June 4th, 2020. I accomplished two-thirds of this during lockdown using diet, bodyweight exercises, yoga, and occasional agility drills in a nearby park. No gym required. The second photo is more than a month old now, too. I'm fitter today, and I did my own photo shoot in my apartment. The shedding of physical baggage has accompanied a shedding of emotional and spiritual baggage while transitioning from travel to home life and transforming my body into a healthier and more capable version of itself, I've discovered something. 
I have nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to feel guilty for, because I know in my heart that I've walked the roads of my life with compassion, kindness, curiosity, and humility. I've done these imperfectly, to be sure, but at every turn I've done them to the best of my ability. The truth is in my conscience and my spine. I mention this because cancel culture and the religion behind it impose themselves by force on individuals and institutions using tactics of guilt and social shaming. They have no other tools, especially not rational debate. But as I look into myself and daily meditation and prayer, I feel pride, deep gratitude, and a carefully cultivated and preserved integrity. This means I'm not likely to be a convert to the religion. That leaves just one other option, heretic. A third choice might be silence, an attempt to ride out the storm. But I don't foresee this storm passing soon. It's been building for a while. Besides, silence hasn't served me. In self-reflection, I've discovered I have a voice and with it things to say. I also have this platform on which to say them. I don't have to interject my thoughts into anyone's Facebook or Instagram feed. I can put them here. So that's what I'm going to do. I will gladly bear the risk of taking on cancel culture's favored tactic, a predictable accusation of bigotry. My conscience acquits me of that through the choices I've made during the last 25 years of my life. Actually, the matter never comes to trial. I didn't make those choices because I was supposed to, or because anyone was watching, but because the choices were obviously right. I did them alone, often at great personal cost, and long before today's crusaders took up the charge. I climbed mountains and told no one. Finally, I've seen more of the world, up and down, left and right, inside and out, than anyone I know, probably more than any two people. In doing so, I've questioned my prejudices and fears, not with book research, but action. More times than I can count, I took bold leaps into frightening and unfamiliar situations and cultures for the sole, S-O-L-E, or sole, S-O-U-L, purpose of seeing the truth for myself, whether on the pilgrim-packed streets of Praia Graj, the dark alleyways of Cartagena late at night, a local bus in the suburbs of Ulaanbaatar, Market Street in San Francisco in winter, remote islands in the Vanuatuan archipelago, or a hard meditation cushion in the mountains of Kashmir. The perspective on true human diversity I've gained from those experiences and thousands of others are a part of me and cannot be taken away. God blessed me with these opportunities over and over again. As I reflect on my story, I can see I've seized each one with both hands because that is who I am. The further back I look, I see that is who I've always been. To lose the world and gain my soul. I understand that for some, no evidence will be enough to convince them of my ideological innocence when their worldview is consciously or unconsciously based on spreading guilt and toxic shame. This is fine. Thankfully, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to those of you in the middle who feel yourselves caught in a war, hunkered down in a foxhole, listening to the battle like I was. You know what you hear, you know what's true, and you know what feels false. But maybe you don't know how to express that, or whether or not it's worth it to try. Maybe you want someone to speak with, to, or even for you. Or maybe, for God's sake, you want to hear someone talking about anything other than politics for once. Well, I'm not a martyr but I am a man. I've earned the right to call myself that. 
And if I've learned one thing about men and masculinity over half a lifetime of deliberate study, it's that men must stand up courageously for what we believe in and what we know. There's no hope for anyone unless we do. So going forward, I'm going to express myself on the subjects that I choose. Not all of my posts will be political. For those that are, I'll endeavor to connect them back to travel and my larger perspective on the world driven by my experiences. I've been blessed with a life that's given me the chance to explore far beyond the bounds of the average person. This is a rare gift in all of human history. I claimed it, and now it's my responsibility to share the prize. I also confess a selfish motivation. I want my planet back. I want to fly again, to sail again, to travel again. I want to see the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa. I want to marvel at the ancient civilizations of Greece, Rome, and Egypt. I want to party at Carnival without a mask, watch the northern lights, climb the steps of Teotihuacan in Mexico, take photos of Red Square, drink a Guinness at the factory, and set foot on the South Pole, my seventh and final continent. Through doing all of these, I hope, as ever, to be a stitch that helps to knit our fractured world back together in a fuller, better way, and to help you, through word and photo, see the other in ways that I've been fortunate to. But none of these things will happen on our current trajectory. I refuse to see the world through a TV screen, to watch loved ones grow old and die on a video call, to be blackmailed out of my sovereignty by medical bureaucracy, and least of all, to allow myself to be silenced by a secular religion that determines my virtue by the color of my skin rather than my priceless, God-given individuality. I hereby refuse the terms being offered by our institutions and media today, and I believe them to be deeply suspect. I cannot take up arms for these causes. The world doesn't work that way, thank God. For now, I fight with my ideas, thoughts, memories, questions, voice, mind, heart, spirit, and effort, supported by as healthy a body as I can achieve. This is what I choose, to find my way through the middle, as always, not out of hatred for what is, but a fierce love for what can be. If that costs me the approval of the world today, so be it. I may lose the world, but I gain my soul. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.